22, then we'll get to Luke 22, but um, it's the time of year where if I'm going hunting, I go, okay? I used to do a lot of hunting growing up, and I don't hunt as much as I used to because, I don't know, I just don't. If anyway, uh, I do go when people invite me, and I was invited to go uh, uh, not long ago, and when, when I, uh, we finished, I told the person who had invited me and t- taken me hunting, I said, I really appreciate this, I enjoyed enjoyed our time together. It was just a lot of fun being with you and um, having this time. And uh, it became a a very touching moment for him. He just stopped and said, you know, I really appreciate you saying that. And I said, what, thank you? You know, it's like, I I didn't see that to be a huge deal, but to him, uh, it was was a big deal because apparently there had been a a, 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 a good period of time in which he had taken other people hunting and nobody had said thank you. And so I, I just happened to be the guy that said thank you after a long period of time of nobody saying thank you. And he said, he said you just wouldn't believe the number of times I've taken people hunting. And he says, I guess people assume since I'm, I've got a little money, I'm kind of wealthy and that I can pay for it and I can do it and I don't know, I just, I'm just tired of being taken for granted. And you didn't take me for granted. You said thank you. And it just, it, it means the world to me. And it, it, he, he said it in such a way, you know, it just struck me. You know, I, I started thinking in my mind, how many times have I not said thank you? Uh, the impact it has on people to not say it, as well as the impact it has on people to say it. And as Rob said earlier, when he was praying... Of all the people in the world, Christians should no doubt be known for our gratefulness, our thankfulness. And I want to show you a verse for that. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As we kind of think about this, this whole theme this morning, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude so if if we are a people walking in jesus and the, the the first instruction it seems to give us here or the first description of the people of god that are walking in jesus are people who are overflowing not just people who are thankful but people who are overflowing in gratitude. One of the uh, verses that was big in our home growing up, Philippians chapter 2. If you don't know it, I'll point it out to you, find out what the number was. Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So there's the contrast. As people, And in the next verse says, so that you can prove that you're, you're a Christian, basically. So there's the contrast. Christians, make this a habit in your home, in your workplace. When you hear somebody just a little bit of grumble and complain, you say, oh, no, 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 no. We are not of those who grumble and complain. Can you practice that with me? We are not of those who grumble or complain. That's not who we are. You just need to get that. We are not of those 
who grumble and complain. Why? Because we are those who are overflowing with gratitude. You can't have them both. If you're overflowing with gratitude, you're not complaining about your husband or your wife or your kids or your job or the weather or your diet or whatever. You're overflowing with gratitude because you've been chosen of Christ, you've been marked out by Christ, you're walking in Christ, and that life is so far superior that you just can't help but to be full of gratitude. I want us to look this morning at the supreme example of gratitude, and that's the example given to us by Christ as he was taking the Lord's Supper with his people for the first time as he was instituting this meal. Look at Luke chapter 22. Here we have the Passover meal flowing into the Lord's Supper. And in the midst of this meal, I want you to see Christ's gratitude and that it hopefully it will help us in developing more and more the attitude of gratitude in us as well. Luke chapter 22, beginning, well, let me start at verse 13 so you can see Passover is mentioned later, but it's, it's here. Uh, Luke 22, verse 13, and they left and found everything just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So you see several things going on there. They are eating the Passover. The Passover's been prepared. They're reclining to eat it, which was tradition. They're eating the Passover, and he begins to talk about suffering. It's, it's just hours away from his trial and crucifixion. Verse 16. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it, meaning this Passover, until it's, it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What's fulfilled? Really, literally, our being passed over. The kingdom of God is beginning, and the new covenant is beginning with Christ's death, His crucifixion. So basically, until that occurs, this won't happen again. Verse 17, And when He had taken a cup and given thanks, He said, Take this and share it among yourselves. Did you see the phrase, given thanks? Verse 18, And as I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, again, the phrase given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Well, there you have the institution of the Lord's Supper. There you have Christ giving thanks. And I want us to 
to break this down and think about it. Verse 17, he gave thanks with the cup. Verse 19, he gave thanks with the bread. I want us to think about really what all is going on there. The, the Lord's Supper is sometimes called the Eucharist. The word Eucharist, if you were raised in that tradition, means thanksgiving. And it's called that because it literally comes out of the Greek text. Um, it's found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. We'll look at several of the Lord's Supper texts along with this Luke passage. But uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, we have this phrase. Is, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? And it's literally, is not the cup of, 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 of the Eucharist. Oh, it's not the cup of blessing. It's not the cup of thanksgiving which we have here. It's, it's literally a cup of thanksgiving. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, And when he had given thanks, there it is again, uh, when he had given thanks or a blessing or a thanksgiving or a Eucharist, uh, another another uh, place, it's actually called eulogy. Uh, look at uh, Matthew 26. Here it's eulogy. Matthew 26. 26. You might have heard somebody say this when you uh, say grace, so to speak, it uh, before a meal, and you wonder if they're saying it wrong or right. Here, here, here's the phrase. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating... Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, I've heard people say, say a blessing. Like, wait, you don't say a blessing, you, you bless. Or, here's the phrase, after taking some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it. And it's, it's literally, after a eulogy, or after thanksgiving, after thanking God, after stopping and remembering we're blessed and God is the blesser, the one who is blessing us. So Jesus took some bread and had the eulogy. And after the eulogy, he broke it and he gave it. Uh, you see, each of these references is to Jesus' activity of giving thanks that we saw back in Luke 22, 17 and 19. Now, he's not in pain at this point. At this point. He's not on the cross at this point. And yet he's thanking God for the crucifixion. He's thanking God that the bread's about to be broken. His body is about to be pierced on the cross. He's about to, to die in our place. He's thanking God that his blood's about to be spilt. Um, you know, when, when, when we give thanks, our thanksgiving's often a thanksgiving of, of life. All the blessings we get for life. Here Jesus is thanking God for death. His death. And the only time we tend to fall into that category is if we're in so or under so much pain. Lord, just give me relief. Kill me. But he's not in pain. He's not in that situation. He's not asking to be removed from death. He's asking to go to death. And he's thanking God he's being allowed to go to death on a cross for you and me. So he says, I want you to 
after I've died, after I, my blood's been spilt, I want you to re- remember my death with this bread and remember my blood with this wine. I thank God for that. Well, perhaps we can understand that thanks, that supreme thanksgiving of Christ when we understand the Passover a little bit more because it's in the text, Luke 22. They were doing the Passover. Uh, I'm not going to give you a traditional Passover description. There's about 15 steps in the Passover. So those of you who've studied it, you know there's going to be some omissions in, in what I say here because that's not the point, is describing Passover completely because Christ doesn't describe it. He's just saying they were doing Passover when the Lord's Supper came about. Let me kind of review it with you for a little bit. The Passover traditionally began with the head of the household. And of course, the, the first Passover is back in Exodus. And uh, the head of the household got his family together and says, we're going we're gonna to hold a thanksgiving, basically. And after words of thanksgiving and blessing and a prayer that we're going to be passed over, God's wrath's not going to be poured out on us, but it's, we're going to be spared. The wrath's going to be on the lamb that's going to be slain, and, and we're going to get to go free. He says, let's, let's thank God for that. So the head of the household would, would have that eulogy, that blessing, he would pray, and then he would, then the family would share a cup of wine, the first of four cups of wine. And people always ask me, "Did the kids drink too?" Yep, the whole, the whole family. They pass it around, and they begin to, as they pass and and drink the wine, discuss with gratitude the fact that they are the chosen and they're going to be passed over. The second part of the big ingredient of Passover was in bitter herbs. They would pass around bitter herbs and they would take the bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs, just as the wine was a symbol of being freed, life coming out of bondage, uh, life, the bitter herbs were a sign of the bondage they had endured as slaves in Egypt. And I think the bitter herbs really were there to push the kids to the next part of the Passover. And the next part of the Passover where the kids would respond to the head of the household, like, tell us again why we're doing this? Because, you know, as soon as you taste something sour and bitter, it's like, oh, why do I have to do this? I just saw his face. I don't want to do it, you know. And everybody's going to have to eat of these bitter herbs. But it, it's, it's, it's the question the head of the household's looking for. Thanks for asking. The reason we're doing this is to remember our life is bitter and miserable without our God redeeming us. And so the, the bitterness points them to the redemption that is there, the refreshing that comes through God coming into their lives again. So they eat the bitter herbs, they sing psalms together of God's deliverance and redemption, and then they pass the cup of wine again. And they drink, saying we're, we're freed from this again. The bitterness uh, as, as God pours His mercy and His grace out upon us. After they, uh, they drink, then they sing some more, uh, discuss the, the scriptures together, and they drink again, uh, a third cup. Uh, and then, then uh, well, no, then they, they, they sacrifice the lamb, the lamb sacrifice, they begin to pass out the main course, the lamb that has, has been slain, and all that goes with that. Then they, they drink the third cup 
And uh, they, they eat and drink then as much as they want. And you can, this, is, this is a meal that's taken some time. Discussion is going on about God's grace and deliverance. And then comes the fourth cup of wine uh, as, they, as they sing again of redemption. They drink a fourth cup and the meal's over. It's at the point of that fourth cup that Christ institutes the Lord's Supper. So I want you to see kind of what is what has gone on to get us to this place. Um, they've, you know, the transition, verse, uh, say, 19 of Luke 22, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. See, they've already eaten the Passover. Now he's taken bread after bread and meat have already been served and eaten. He says he takes some bread and says, now this... We're doing something new here. This is my body. And I want you to remember me with this. And then notice verse 20. And then in the same way, he took the cup. Well, see, you remember back in verse 17, and he had taken a cup. So what's going on here? How many cups are going on? This is Back in verse 17, that's not the communion cup. That's the Passover cup. That's... That cup has, has been drunk four times already. Now he's taken another cup. He said, this one is about me. It's poured out for you. Verse 20, and in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten. So they've already eaten the Passover meal. It's not talking about eating the bread. It's after they've eaten the Passover meal. And... It's in the same way, in the same way, just as he, he took the bread after they had eaten, he takes now the cup after they had eaten. You see Paul bring it up too in 1 Corinthians 11. You look over there at the, the phrase after. We just kind of shoot by it because, you know, we're just used to communion. We didn't grow up with the Passover like they did. 1 Corinthians uh, verse 11, verse 25 says, In the same way he took the cup also after supper. Not talking about after the communion bread, but after the meal. What meal had they had? They were having a, a feast together. But he's describing that Christ took the bread after the Passover meal together. And all of that is helpful for us to remember that Christ wants to say, Old Covenant was with the Passover lamb. New Covenant with me. This now, this bread, Passover's done. The new covenant's going to, you're going to remember me, my body. You're going to remember my blood. That it's because of me that you're going to be passed over. The sacrifice that you've been doing year after year after year, the Passover, that's done. This is going to be a once and for all sufficient sacrifice. I will never have to come back and sacrifice myself again. From now on, you'll just remember this sacrifice. That's about to occur, me on the cross. It'll be remembrance. It'll always be looking back. Because I'm going to do something that's going to be for your benefit once and for all. You're going to remember my sacrifice. Because my sacrifice is going to be a substitutionary atonement. I will satisfy God's wrath poured out on your sins once and for all. And, and that's what Christ is saying. And that's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that I'm going to be able to do that for you. 
And you're going to be, just have to remember it. My body, my blood being spilt for you. So, you know, when we take the Lord's Supper, when you take Thanksgiving, you know, consider the lamb and his death. You know, I was, I was thinking about this is our first year as a family where I'm the head of the Thanksgiving celebration. We've, we've just gotten to the stage where we don't have a parent that's hosting. We're the ones hosting, which means now we can establish our own traditions. I don't have to do what mom and dad did. and Patty doesn't have to do what her mom and dad did. But we're now the moms and dads. And we get to determine. And so we read some scripture. We, we played a little game. We did something different, but we're still trying to figure this out. And as I was thinking about, you know, I'm kind of toying with the idea of, of maybe bringing parts of the Passover into our Thanksgiving, that we have a time, because I think culturally we have lost an understanding of our bondage without Christ, to bring that in and show, have a time to be thankful for that as a family at home, not just every Sunday, the Lord's Day, with the communion, but as a family, and then as a nation, bring in, one of the people, one of the things the Jews frequently did at Passover was not just eat lamb, they ate turkey. So to combining these, these thoughts that we're thankful as a nation. We've had forefathers that are believers that have been freed from bondage to come and start this nation. And to begin to think through, you know, we're most thankful because we are a redeemed people. We've been redeemed by our God, and it all would point us back to Christ. So that we're not just thankful for pilgrims or Indians or Mayflowers, but we're thankful for Jesus because our forefathers were, were, were fleeing religious persecution. And for us to begin to remember that and be thankful, for us to remember way back our forefathers, those of the old covenant that fled religious persecution and were passed over by God and redeemed, for us to begin to think, we of all people should be most grateful. I don't, so I don't know what your traditions are, but regardless of what they are, we should be overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness and supremely because Christ died in our place and established a new covenant with us. Um, he was grateful. Verse 16 uh, of Luke 22, I'll never again eat until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says, I'm about to go fulfill something here. I'm about to die. That's going to be so cool. Because then when I eat with you, the new kingdom has come. The new covenant has been established. He mentions it again, verse 18. He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And 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 verse 20 says, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant. The new covenant starts with the first communion meal. As you remember my blood, the new covenant has begun. We're not waiting for a kingdom. The kingdom, the new kingdom, the new covenant has begun in Christ. And we celebrate it week after week. Well, let me, let me unpack this a little bit more. Trying to think through. Okay, Christ is saying, I give thanks. I give thanks. If, if I'm sitting at that table with Jesus... 
actually reclining. One of the reasons it says they recline in the Passover, to recline on a pillow and to eat, that was like a king. And they did that as, as symbolism. We are royalty. We are God's people. We get to, to eat in a, in, a, in a fashion that symbolizes we are somebody. And they did that with Christ. And as you're sitting there and Christ says, I want to stop and give thanks for my body. I want to stop and give thanks for my blood. You're hearing terms you've never heard before. I mean, what? What did you just say? You're going to fulfill something? You're going to die? Your, your blood's going to be spilt? And, and, and you're, you're grateful for this? I mean, this is strange hearing it for the first time. We need to get a, a sense of that. And they heard some other stuff about Christ dying and being uh, raised from the dead, which they remembered as soon as it happened. So, oh, now we get it. We ought to be those people who get it. And I gave you three reasons here. I think Christ is saying, I am thankful, number one, because of, of the glory in all of this. Look at John chapter 12, beginning at verse 23. Luke, John 12. 12, verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Do you think of the crucifixion that way? Christ is on the cross and you say, The Son of Man is glorified. I mean, we sometimes don't, don't see exactly what's happening. Look at verse 27, 28. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Like, that would be, that'd be foolish to ask that. Because it's for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So there's something that's occurring on the cross that glorifies God the Father. It glorifies the Son. One of the few times God speaks out of heaven so that you can hear it on earth. God says, exactly, exactly. Christ says, what, should, should I stop in this prayer and say, Father, I'm, you know, I'm about to go to the cross. Don't let that happen. Christ said, that would be foolish. That, it's for this reason I came. I'm not asking to be spared the cross. Later on in Gethsemane, he's, he's, he, you know, there's some, some way to, to not endure all the pain, yes. But I don't want to pass up on the cross. Why? For the, he says, for this hour, for this reason, I came. God so loved the world. You know John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. What did he give him to? He gave him to the cross. As Isaiah 53, he gave him to be crushed by our sin and by our iniquity. Jesus understood he was dying for us. For this I came. And he says, and, and if I do this, it's pleasing to my Father. Because my Father's will is that I come and die in your place. He says, I give thanks that I'm pleasing the Father. I give thanks that I'm honoring my Father. I give thanks that this weighty thing, this thing called glory, is occurring. Because this is one of the most glorious things that's ever occurred. 
God so loved the world that he gives up his son for us. He says, That's, I say, I'm, I'm thankful for that, that we have a God who chooses people and substitutes me for them, that they can go free, that they can be redeemed, that they can be forgiven. Christ was thankful for God's plan, for God's substitutionary atonement, for crushing him so that you and I could go through. Think about that kind of gratitude. Second, I think Christ is grateful. He's thankful. Lord, I'm fixing to, to die and be crushed, but I'm also about to be resurrected. And he's thankful for the resurrection glory, not just for uh, redemption on a cross. Look at Matthew 17. Verse 23, he, he tells this to his disciples ahead of time. Matthew 17. Verse 23, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Uh, so here the disciples are together. Verse 22, while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, Son, man's going to be delivered into the hands of men. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day I'll be raised. They just get hung up. They, they're not thankful here. They're mourning. Jesus is thankful that he's going to die and be raised. And he tells them ahead of time, that, you know, this is, this is, this is good. I'm, I'm going to be raised. Look over at Romans 6. Here you have both. Romans 6. 4 through 6. Here's the theology of it. Romans 6, beginning at verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united, you see there baptism being synonymous with the word united. If we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, See, we were baptized into his death, or we were united to his death. If we're united to his death, then certainly we shall also be united to his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So we'll have a new self, not living to sin, but living to God. What's, what's he talking about? See, this is glorious. This is resurrection stuff. You will not only be united to my death, I will not only be dying for you, which is glorious, but I'm going to be rising for you, which is glorious. And you're going to be united to both. I'm the substitute. So everything that happens to me happens to you. You die my death, you are raised my resurrection. So if you're united to my death, do you not see the glory in this? That means I carry you with me into glory. You're mine. And, and that's what Paul's picking up on in Romans. He says, we're, we're united with one, we've, we're united with the other. So if you're united with the death, you should be living in the resurrection and the power and the glory of the resurrection. Freedom from sin. You've been passed over. You're out of bondage. You're free. You move on. It's determined. Jesus says, when you take the bread, when you take the cup, remember this. I'm so thankful for it. That, that my death is, 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 is truly 
a substitutionary death that satisfies God so that you are raised. You're not going to be stuck. Well, he's thankful for that. This union with Christ really happens and occurs. And that creates a reunion in glory that I think he's thankful for as well. As he mentions, he says, he says we're going to be reunited in the kingdom. I will eat with you again back in Luke 22. Boy, that's cool. He, he knew his, his body would be crushed, but he knew there would be new life. He knew they would eat again. He knew that before he takes that step and to the, to the cross, and he's so thankful for that. Think of the day. There's millions of people in the new covenant because of this. Because Christ died, was buried, and raised. And we will be united. We are united with those heavenly hosts that, that even today gather as we assemble. And they look down upon us and say, this is cool. God's still saving. God's still adding to his number. God's still building his church. They're grateful and full of gratitude in heaven. We should be full of gratitude on earth as we realize what's happening. That we are part of the people of God that are being passed over so that we can have this glorious reunion. You know, still trying to, to grasp Christ's first communion meal, saying, I'm so thankful for the bread and for the cup of wine that he passes out um i was at a restaurant we were eating and uh you know they uh, we finished they brought the bill and this is pretty standard for me to say thank you you know and take the bill well i said thank you for the bill why do some of y'all say check it's not a check it's a bill okay quit saying check they don't give you a check they give you a bill it's a debt you owe okay so this waiter got this, and he, they, he gave me the bill, and I said, thank you. And he said, you've got to be kidding, right? I said, no, I'm thankful. He said, why are you thankful? It's, it's, it's a bill, it's a debt. And I said, well, you're exactly right. I'm glad you get it. Some people just don't get that. I said, but I'm thankful that I have the ability to pay the debt. Anytime you can pay it all, that's a good thing. I'm so grateful I can do that. I said, we prayed before we ate. We're so thankful God has provided and allowed all of this. So this is a debt I welcome because it's a debt I can pay. And I got to thinking about that transaction that, that maybe that's a little bit of what Christ was going through. The debt was going to be costly. It was his body and his blood. But he was thankful the debt could be paid it was a de- it wasn't his debt it's our debt but he could pay it so grateful to god he could pay the debt because that debt was going to free us from sin that debt was going to unite us to him and all his glory that debt was going to unite us to a great reunion in heaven what a debt to pay when you realize what it's doing and where it's taking us so he was thankful and grateful at every step. Lord, thank you that I can do this. Because this is, this, is, this is really good. It's really glorious. I hope we begin to see 
uh, Christ's joy in being grateful uh, to pay our debt. Well, how can we respond? How can we leave it out of here? I, I put down four things that we could think, ways we could thank God. Um, number one, our mood, just with constant expressions of thankfulness. When we take the Lord's Supper, we take it weekly. When we come to think about Christ every Lord's Day, uh, I think we, no matter how happy you were when you came in, I think we should leave at least that happy. Maybe happier. But we should never leave gloomier because we've met with Christ and we think of Christ's death and burial and resurrection when we take the Lord's Supper and what that does for us, it should change us. Um, I was examined once, the, uh, theology exam, and they asked me, um, you know, at the Lord's table, what, as a preacher, what kind of mood should you try to establish? Should it be a, a somber, solemn, um, gloomy kind of mood? Or should it be celebratory and uh, rejoicing? And I think this group that was examining me went one way as opposed to the other. And so my answer was yes. And they said, yes, what? Gloomy or rejoicing? I said, yes. You know, both. I said, because, number one, we're sinners. And we should mourn our sin. We should be sorry for our sin. We should be repentant of our sin. We should seek forgiveness of our sin. There's nothing more serious than sin. The wages of sin are death. So it should be a very serious, somber time of repentance. I said, but the same at the same time, Christ has delivered us from sin. There's nothing more glorious than Christ being our substitute and our sacrifice. And this substitution and this sacrifice is something he gloried in and something he thanks God for, something he praises God for. And even the old Passover, they would stop and sing praises to God for redemption. So I don't see how you could have it without an element of both. Sinners take from the table and then rejoice that we're forgiven and cleansed. So however it's presented week to week, I hope you, you, you have a sense of both. You're a sinner that's being welcomed by a righteous and holy God saying, turn loose of your sins. Walk in a new life. Be united to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then begin to live this new life of holiness. And rejoice in that. Because that new life of holiness is yours. Because it's been gifted to you. By God. Uh, so it's, 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 it's something that should change us. Look at Psalm 39. Uh, excuse me. It's 35 verse 9. Psalm 35 verse 9. I want you to see a, a transition from personal joy to, to corporate joy. Here's why I really pulled this out. Psalm 35, verse 9, it says, And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. I shall exult in His salvation. So there's a testimony of the psalmist saying, You know, I can't help but to rejoice, to exult, to praise God, because I'm, I'm redeemed. I'm one of the saved. Now, that seems personal. Look over at verse 18. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. So 
here the psalmist is saying, you know, I'm not only going to thank God for being saved, but when I get in this assembly of the saints, I'm not going to start looking around at them and saying, what are they doing? I'm going to keep praising God. We're going to be praising God together. It's going from personal to corporate, from, from individual to, to a united assembly. And we're all thankful to God. Well, there should be an element of that. You come in maybe as an individual, but then you begin to see, you know, I, I'm part of a group. And together, our, our thanks and our praise is multiplied to God. Uh, we can give words of thankfulness to one another and back to God in prayer. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. Here's a particular command given to us. 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, we, we sang our, one of the, the, the phrases in our last song was, was, was a song about uh, thankful through tribulation. I wonder how many of you caught that. He didn't say thankful because we escaped tribulation. But thankful through the tribulation. My discipleship class this morning were in the book of Revelation chapter 2 on the suffering saints in Smyrna. And the Smyrna saints were those who went through persecution unto death. Thankful in and through persecution. Our culture seems we want to thank God when we escape trouble. But here, God said, no, I want you to give thanks in every... That's my will for you, to be thankful even in the tribulation, through the tribulation. Maybe tribulation all the way unto death. You're not just thankful because you escaped tribulation. You're, you're thankful in and through it, through the hard times. Are we thankful in everything? Of course, the Philippians passage, Philippians 4 Four, five, and six also talks about pray, pray about everything with thanksgiving. I was out in uh, out in my driveway a few weeks ago. I got a bunch of white oak trees in my yard. That that's they have nice little acorns on them. I've got millions of those if you need one. Okay. Well, I was I was out in the driveway and one just bopped me right on the middle here. Bam. You know, these are hard. It's like throwing rocks from heaven. And first thought, I was thinking about this verse. Bam! I said, thank you, Lord. I needed that for some reason. I know. Probably many reasons. But have we, do we have that kind of attitude? We're thinking, Lord, that, that hurt. That was painful. But what did I need there? Where are you taking me from here? And being thankful. I mean, even if that had hit me and killed me, I still have a Redeemer. I still have glory. I'm still united to the assembly of the saints. I'm still praising my God forever. My life has just begun at death. There's, there's so much to be grateful for. We should be overflowing with thanksgiving in all things and, and, and give a word of thankfulness to God. Lord, thank you. Pray to him. Uh, in Exodus chapter 15, 
going back to the uh, Passover. Notice this song, Exodus 15, that, that God had had Moses and the saints to write, to, to sing. Exodus 15, verse 1, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. The horse and its rider he's hurled into the sea. The Lord's my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. You see that praise? I, we should be demonstrating our praise through singing. Why do you sing? God likes it. Give God what he likes. Give God praise. Thank him. This is one of the ways we thank God for our redemption. It's certainly one of the ways uh, they were doing it there. It says, you know, we just, we just watched a bunch of people die in the Red Sea. But God is my God. God is my salvation. God is my redeemer. He saved my daddy. He saved me. I'm part of a chosen people. Um, you know, Miriam answers it, uh, verse 21. Miriam answered him and said, Sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. This, this is commanded. She was one of the leaders there. Moses, uh, one of the leaders, said, let's sing and give thanks to God. God has destroyed death. God has destroyed sin. He's given us life. He's given us holiness. Uh, another thing uh, that should be seen, thankfulness, not only words of thanks, songs of thanks, a mood of thanks. I think our witness should be one of thanks. Look at uh, Psalm 40, verses 2 through 4. So just as people look at us, we should be witnessing, whether it's through our words, our songs, our lifestyle. Uh, it should be a life of thankfulness. Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. Put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And catch this. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. See, that's what people see and hear. They look at you, they look at me, and they say, Wow, how blessed is that person? How did they get there? How did they have such a good life? I mean, I got people who live around me, I hear them scream and holler and have their, their fights in the house and out into the yard, you know. That happens in neighborhoods. And I pray as I, I hear, Lord, protect them, but at the same time, help them to see, I am such a blessed man because of faith in Christ. Christ makes a difference. I am so grateful to God that life is different. I'm not in a household that's grumbling and complaining, but a household that sings and praises and rejoices and praise, and it's so different than the world. They need to see our lives, and our lives demonstrate to them the glory of God when they see gratefulness and never see grumbling and complaining. So again, be overwhelmed and overflowing with gratefulness. As a witness, many will come and say, you know, what gives? Why are, why are you so blessed? 
and it's because of our God. A life of thanksgiving. Living this life is a life uh, that's really just pleasing to God. Christ's reason. You know, I, I want to live as a follower of my God all the way to the cross. There is... Well, look at 2 Corinthians 5, 15. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. This is what happens to us when we get changed. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Our lifestyle should be a lifestyle of living for God because He's done so much for us. He saved us, redeemed us, released us. And so we're not living for ourselves. I don't live to get happy. I don't live to do my will. I live to do God's will. Are you there? That, that demonstrates gratefulness. Someone has saved my life. I live to please that person. Why? Because they saved my life. Duh. I mean, this is not rocket science. Christ saved my life. I don't live for me. I live for him. And the glorious thing about that is he likes it. And so has promised to take me into his life forever. So it only gets better. And, and, and we need to have that kind of lifestyle of gratefulness and thankfulness to Christ that others can see it. Well, uh, not only see it in us individually, but see it among us. Look at Psalm 116. I love the, the, the confidence of this psalmist saying, look, I'm, I'm going to live the Christian life and I'm going to do it publicly. Psalm 116 says it this way, Psalm 116, beginning at verse 12. says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation. I call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Now think about that. He says, I want to pay my vows, and I don't want to... I don't want to be a private Christian. I don't want to be isolated Christian. I want to pay my vows in the presence of other people, of the people of God. I want other people to see me obedient. I want them to see this lifestyle of, of living for God and get to the conclusion, verse 15, and this is a precious person who's going on to glory. So that all of heaven says how precious it is for, 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 for the saints to die because it just gets better and better. I mean, they were living a life of good, and it just gets better. Um, what are your vows that you pay in the presence of people? As a culture, we have, I don't know what the psalmist was thinking about, but, but, but we have three basic vows. We have wedding vows, we have church vows, and we have Vows to our children. Children vows. At baptism, right? We're going to train our children. We vow to raise up our kids for Christ. We vow to our spouse to love them as Christ loves the church, respect and submit to Christ as church does to Christ. Vows. And we vow to one another that we will live Christianly. That 
I will treat you as a brother in Christ, and you will treat me as a brother or sister in Christ. You know, excuse me, it goes the other way. Don't treat me like a sister in Christ. Okay. <clears throat> treat me as a brother in Christ or a father in Christ. I'll treat you as a sister in Christ or as a mother in Christ, as a child of Christ. We vow that. And the psalmist is saying, I want you to see that. That I will, I gladly keep all of my vows because I've been redeemed. It, it's, it's, just, it's just a joyful pursuit to, to, to do this life because this life is, is a life of gratitude for redemption. Why should we be so thankful for redemption? Do we not get it? That's what I'm trying to show from Christ. Christ says, what is about to happen on the cross and in the tomb and after the tomb? What is about to happen, brothers, as he institutes the Lord's Supper, is so significant, it should change the way you live forever, and you'll be glad to follow me. Anyone who will take up his cross and follow me, no matter the person, it'll be something you'll be glad to do. Because your sin will be removed. The wrath of God that's over you will be removed. And you will be united to my death, my burial, and my resurrection. And we will be together in the kingdom, in the new covenant, both now and forever. Think about those things at Thanksgiving. Think about those things at this Thanksgiving meal. We get to celebrate every single week. Let us be a people that's just overflowing with gratitude. I mean, I, I tell you week after week, it's, it's no joke. I like being around you. Some of you are pretty good, really are. Some of you, you know, God's still working on you. I get that. But you're on the path. And you're making progress, and you're growing. And it's just a whole lot more fun being around people who are grateful for redemption than people who are always grumbling and complaining. They're no fun to be around. What a joy it is to gather with the saints of God, both here and forever. Let's pray together. Father, we are your chosen, your, your people. We can confess right now that we, we're all people who need to be more thankful about much. So forgive us, we ask. Take away our ungrateful hearts. Cleanse us. Help us to learn to rejoice even in the sufferings of Christ. Even as those sufferings are things we share even as we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, even when life seems to be hard, Lord, may we of all people be grateful and rejoice because there's glory here on earth and in heaven. May others see the glorious one, Christ, in us. Thank you, Lord, for a church that celebrates the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Lord, help me to take advantage of this privilege week after week so that I begin the first day of the week as a grateful sinner who's been saved and redeemed and who goes into this world with joy 
because of it. May others see it in fear and trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for this time to turn from sin, to turn to Christ, and to follow. We ask that you would bless our taking of the Lord's Supper, just as you took and gave and blessed the first one. Lord, bless again and again. We remember you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.